From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Monday, June 13th. A group of health and environmental advocates are suing the Environmental Protection Agency over what they're calling a failure to enforce air pollution protections in 30 large cities across the country. Mark Richardson with our partners at the Public News Service reports. The lawsuit, filed by Earth Justice, claims the agency did not enforce its own regulations to reduce toxic ozone levels. The cities, including Salt Lake City, Denver, Phoenix, and Las Vegas, all rank among the most polluted in the country. The Healthy Environmental Alliance of Utah, also known as Heal Utah, is a plaintiff in the suit. Executive Director Lexi Tudnam says nothing is getting done while communities in natural areas along the Wasatch Range continue to endure toxic air pollution. This particular suit came to our attention and we decided to become a part of it because it directly affects the way we as Utahns can live our lives and the way that we not only can site businesses and have economic opportunities, but just the basic quality of life. The EPA missed a February deadline to certify whether the cities had met standards set forth in the 2015 Clean Air Act. Other plaintiffs include downwinders at risk, the Alliance of Nurses for Clean Environments, and the Sierra Club. Tuttlem says while the area's year-round brown cloud affects everyone in the region, it falls hardest on low-income areas and communities of color. We also know that people need to be protected and that the communities that are most affected within that change need to have access to the resources that they need to continue to live their lives. She says while cities and the states are also responsible for enforcing clean air regulations, federal intervention is needed to bring those in non-compliance up to standards. The EPA is the standard and the backbone for what needs to happen, and without them enforcing their own rules, essentially, and sticking to their own timelines, we can't move forward. The American Lung Association ranks the Salt Lake City, Denver, Phoenix, and Las Vegas metro areas among those with the highest levels of toxic ozone, with Salt Lake and Phoenix among the worst for particulate pollution. Mark Richardson reporting. A new study tracked nearly 2,000 years of climate conditions in the Colorado River. As KUNC's Alex Hager reports, researchers found intense drought in the second century. Scientists looked at tree rings, lakes, bogs, and caves to learn about water availability, pushing our understanding of climate patterns 800 years further into the past. The research revealed the region's worst drought on record, a two-decade stretch where the Colorado River was at 68% of its average flow. For comparison, the historic drought we're in right now has left the river at 84% of average flow. The study's authors from the federal government and the University of Arizona say historical data can give today's water managers a better idea of just how much water levels in the river basin can vary and inform their planning for dry times in the future. I'm Alex Hager. In 1972, the Telluride Ski Resort opened its lifts in the San Juan Mountains of southwest Colorado. This year, the ski area celebrates half a century of slipping, sliding, and riding. The Telluride Historical Museum is devoting its annual exhibit to the milestone. Matt Hoish, with our partners at KOTO, paid a visit and brings us this report. You may know most of the runs at the Telluride Ski Resort are named after old mining claims. But did you know an early idea from developers was instead to name them after card games? So a lot of the early names, we've got Card Shark, One-Eyed Jack, Inside Straight. (laughs) That's Molly Daniel, Director of Programs and Exhibits at the Telluride Historical Museum. 
I don't know, it's just funny to me that that's what it could have been. But I think they were kind of out of touch with Telluride and then Senior Mahoney, who's been here and grew up mining and very familiar with the area's mining culture, was like, no, I think we kind of need to honor <laughs> Telluride's history, which I think is great. Daniel is giving me a sneak peek at the museum's newest annual exhibition, The Long Run. It's a history of the ski area, which celebrates its 50th anniversary this year. Telluride Company, a never-ending and ongoing consultation with ecologists, forest service personnel, and environmentalists, has taken a fantastic town surrounded by great ski terrain, and they built five double chairlifts in just the right place. Then they've cut trails to produce some blow-your-mind skiing. That's a clip from Telluride is Happening, a 1970s short by ski filmmaker Warren Miller that helped publicize the resort in its early days and is part of the long run. The skiing mix is just right. The top half of the over 3,000 vertical feet of lift-serve ski runs is steep, and it's tough enough to challenge even the best skiers. The lower half, that's gentle and rolling. Easy enough for anyone. Daniel spent the last six months putting the exhibition together. The whole experience, she says, has been a trip back in time. As somebody born in the early 90s who grew up in the South, um, I'm very separated from, or I grew up separated from ski culture. I definitely wasn't alive in the 70s, so it's been, I'm almost nostalgic now for a time that I wasn't alive. The exhibition actually starts a few decades before the 70s when the resort opened because there was skiing here long before Telski. A pair of old wooden skis hangs on the wall next to the entrance. They belonged to Pat Mahoney, the brother of ski area pioneer, Senior Mahoney. And he used these wooden skis at Grizzly Gulch in Telluride, and the plaque right here says in 1938, which is when they would have been skiing kind of the town park area of town. And it was very, you know, rustic skiing, ungroomed. They would have these automobile-powered rope toes that they would kind of just rig up for uh, temporary purposes so that kids could be pulled up to the top and then hope they make it down in one piece. There was actually an earlier attempt to start a ski resort in the 50s and 60s, but that fell through. Then, a few years later, came Joe Zoline. He was a businessman who lived part-time in Aspen and saw the potential for a ski area in the former mining town, then bought land to build it. And I love his quote right here about buying the ski area. He's, he said, I was feeling adventurous and I wanted to do something beautiful and constructive. I think he got a lot of slack from people in town. He was like, oh, there's this rich guy coming in. He wants to capitalize on our beloved town. But I think he had good intentions. I think he really was like, oh, it, this is a beautiful place. I love it. I want to build something great. It took a few years to plan and develop the area. But on December 22, 1972, the Telluride Ski Resort opened. That was after the opening was delayed, ironically, because of too much powder. They couldn't get work trucks and crews to be able to finish lodges and to get everything completed just in time for it to open because there was too much snow, uh, which seems like a good problem to have. In the five decades since those early years, a lot has happened that has shaped the resort along with the community, and the exhibit goes into a lot of it. One of the overall themes, Daniel says, is people coming together. I think a lot of what happened with the ski area happened because, you know, 
we, we do live in a community. This town isn't just a resort. It's full of people who care about this place and the people that live here. A constant in the story of the Telluride ski area are the people that made it happen and wanted it to happen and pushed for these things to happen in these beautiful places to explore the outdoors. For KOTO and the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition, I'm Matt Hoish. And that's the KZMU News for Monday, June 13th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.